It's not about me. I'm only here for a minute, and I know that I can't fix it. I can help even just a little bit. Won't you let me try? Hello, and welcome to the latest Laz and Powers podcast. I'm Mark Lazarus of the Athletic, joined by Scott Powers of the Athletic. Scott, it snowed yesterday, and I'm pissed about it. Yeah, no, you should be pissed. I, I blame you still. <laughs> it's been like been like two months. Come, I, it's over. My, <laughs> I've paid my penance. It's funny because like, you know, I like winter. I, I prefer cold weather. I'm all for it. But like by this time of the year, I'm just like, all right, just give me the sun, give me the warmth, give me the give me the long daylight hours. I'm glad daylight saving is here. I'm just I'm ready. I'm move, I'm, I'm ready to move on. I like the seasons. I don't complain much about winter except for this year because it was awful. But I'm ready to move on. Yeah, no, it's. Uh... Yeah, I was hopeful that we had like turned the corner, but you just you, you know better, right? Like it just here you almost assume this is coming probably a few times still, so it's nice to see sixty degree weather again in the uh, in the future forecast. Yeah, um, we're hoping that works. My my parents are coming to visit next week. It's my kids' spring break, and my parents are fully vaccinated and the CDC says it's okay for them to come hang out with us, which is just really cool. I feel like, I feel like there's a you know, maybe some light at the end of the tunnel here. I feel like we're I can look at next hockey season and think, yeah, we might be semi-normal by next fall. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a nice one. It'd be nice to be back in the locker room and, yeah, just be, it'd be nice to travel a little bit. And, yeah, I think we all could use a little normalcy. Yeah, this is – you and I have been talking a lot about it. What, what a, th- This season's been a different kind of grind. Like, I'm used to not sleeping during hockey season and having, like, <laughs> six hours, two hours, nine hours, ten hours, one hour, three hours, just all over the place. And I'm just sleeping eight hours a night every night, but I'm somehow more kind of – ground down by this season than other seasons i think it's it's and nobody's gonna cry a river for us but it's less fun it's less fun this year yeah and i i think it's i think everyone's just less engaged right like not being able to go to and not that all fans would be able to go to the games but you know people experience the games at bars or just yeah they just i, I think everyone just feels less engaged you know like it, it's been nice to just cover games in person at the united center like it's it's strange to go there and then you go to the other room and you you interview someone over Zoom, but it's uh, <laughs> like just being able to be there and present. Like you definitely feel more engaged, and I think I think that's just the key. I think um, as 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 things return to normal, that people just still feel like they're you know part of this, uh, yeah, part of it a little bit more in some way, or just be more involved in 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 uh, with. Uh, with the with the team and I, I think the ups and downs and and all that I think it just it, it's hard to be a fan when it's yeah there's there's no fans there like it just it feels it feels fake at times you know even covering it and being there in person like yeah. it just it it doesn't feel real um it was fun someone I, I think Sean Shapiro had mentioned uh, mentioned to us about how uh like at, where Blackhawks are you know the places that are allowing fans and are are still. Like the Blackhawks are still like a draw for those people. Like the Blackhawks still have a tend to uh, you know teams have more more fans in their stadiums even though they're limited capacity. That w- when the Blackhawks are in town, so I'm sure that you know it's probably and I've certainly seen Blackhawks fans within uh, watching the Panthers games the last few games. So it's it's interesting how that's still kind of the Blackhawks are driving force for for fans still around around the around the league. Yeah, I mean every, every, everyone who said you know. Two or three years ago, that once the Blackhawks got bad, that their fans would disappear. That's not definitely not been the case. They were still selling out most games last year. Well, they were selling out every game, but really selling out most games last year. And uh, and like you said, yeah, that it's interesting that 
you know, still in Florida and in Dallas. I mean, Ben Pope at the Sun-Times did a whole story about how people were driving 14 hours to go see Patrick Kane's thousandth game in Dallas just because they're allowing fans in. I mean, Hawks fans, they're, uh, <laughs> they're, they're a special breed of crazy. God bless them. Yeah. Um, and they're pissed right now. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because the, the, the Blackhawks have, like, if, if they had lost these games, like, if you told them that they'd be losing these type of games early in the season or, you know, before the season, people would be like, yeah. But now there's sort of a, there's a little bit more expectation. Like, they've set a bit of a bar. Um, I, I don't know if it's really changed, though, you know? Like, I, I, it's it's a team that it uh, certainly exceeded expectations, but they're, they're still young. They're still inconsistent. Like, there's the they're playing really good teams for a long stretch now, and um, and it's clear that they're a step below the Panthers and the Lightning and Hurricanes. Like they can compete with uh, that that next tier, but I, I think the elite teams they're they're still you know like there's there's still ground to be made. And 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 I mean to the credit, I mean they had you know like they they had the Lightning in a very favorable position that in that third game, and they, and they had last night's game one two, and they blow it. Um, it, it's it's still learning how to close out teams, learning you know. Um, learning how to preserve leads like that's um yeah it, it it just feels like it's still it, it's gonna be this learning curve for for throughout this season yeah you know it's funny like i i feel like sometimes i feel like i'm derelict in my duty covering this team i remember back when they were really really good in all those years people would get mad at me for not you know roughing them up when they when they had a bad game or you know why don't you grab joel quenville by the you know the lapel and smack him around and ask him about the power play and i always be like how could you get that worked up about it? You know they're good. You know they're coasting through the regular season. And you know they're going to be fine when they get to the playoffs. It's, it's hard to get too worked up about it. And now this year, it's kind of the same thing from a different angle where it's like, you know they're young. You know they're not as talented and as deep and as skilled as some of these teams. You know they don't know how to win yet and they're going to blow leads. Like, How mad can you really get? You know, the last couple of years when they were kind of on that fence and kind of one foot in, one foot out, you can get kind of worked up about these things. But I have a hard time... You know, I'm not a, I don't want to be a moral victory guy, but you can say, yeah, they blew leads against Tampa and Florida, or you can say, well, they had leads against Tampa and Florida, which are arguably the two best teams in hockey right now. So, I mean, this is, the regression is here. You know, this is the march, the death march that we were talking about, where it was just going to be a brutal schedule and they were going to come down to earth a bit. Um, but you can sit there and you can cry about it, or you could focus on the fact that they're having these 20 minute spurts, these 40 minute spurts, these stretches where they're hanging with these top teams. And really, I mean, this season, the entire point of this season is still the big picture. It's still about next year and the year after that. It's about developing towards something. Whatever happens this year is gravy. If they win this year, it's gravy. If they go to the playoffs, that's great. That expedites the process. Everything's better if you make the playoffs. But it's not like a mandate. This isn't like the old days. You have to accept that this team is what it is, which is, you know, a young team playing six, seven, eight rookies a night. They're still figuring things out. They, they're, not, they're, they're missing their top three centers. You have to – I hate making excuses, but you have to allow for all of those things when assessing this team. Right? So getting really angry that they keep blowing leads now, I mean, get sure, get angry. Be, up, be disappointed by it, sure. But I just don't understand you know, you know, the, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth that sometimes happens. This is not a good team. It was never going to be a good team, but they're competitive. They're farther along than we thought they'd be. And what's happening in March is exactly what we expected to happen in March. Yeah, I, I, and like you said, I mean, they're missing three their their top three centers, and he, you know, with Strom out now too, and that Strom was he wasn't killing it when he was in there, but you know, we're, I guess we don't know how long he'd been affected by the potential concussion symptoms, and he, and he'd been putting up points early on, and he struggled, and then 
and now he's been out for a bit, but it, it's, you know, he was, you know, coming back to be, you know, the, the top center probably with, without Taves and Doc. And, and, and now you have all three of those guys out and they just, you know, like David Camp was a top line center last night and, and he did a fine job, but, um, you know, David Camp isn't probably your ideal top line center. Like it's, uh, you know, Suter and Kurashev for, uh, you know, they're, they're still learning. Uh, Soderberg just doesn't have the, the foot speed and, and he can play a role, but it's, it's not as your top line center. Like they're just, they're missing those guys. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're losing faceoffs and, and, and the consistency level just isn't there, you know, up and down the lineup. Like it just, it's, um, I think Carlton's been searching for deep pairings now too, for like the whole season. Like it's just finding out where, who plays well with Zadorov, who fits with Mitchell and, you know, Keith and Murphy were last there together last night and Boquist and Dahan and, um, yeah, just it's and part of it's just that some of these rookies, these young players, are going through inconsistencies, having played thirty games in in, in two plus months. Like it's just it's it's going to take a wear on you, and it's hard to play play well um, for for that long. And and now you're playing against a really good team, so it makes it even more difficult. So yeah, I I, I guess you know I'm I'm at the point where I think you know Carlton had this tone last night where he he was frustrated, and and, and you know there are things that are that are fixable and. Um, and I, I think they've set some expectations, you know, from what, how they've played, but yeah, someone just, it just feels like it's the reality of the situation. Like they're, they're, they're not good enough. Some of these players aren't prepared for this and then they're just not talented enough too. like, they just don't have the, um, you know, the, the high end players and then the depth to, to really sustain it. So, um, I still tend to think that you, you, you got to focus on the positive and what it means for the future. It just, it's. Um, and, and I, and I get that's hard for fans. Like you want to get wrapped up in a season and especially when you, we don't have a lot of options for recreational activities. Like you, you do want to watch <laughs> these games and then all of a sudden they're winning games and they're, they're in a playoff race. And so when they, uh, when they go up three to one, like you, you, you expect a team to win that and then to lose, lose like they did. Like it's just, it's, I get why that's crushing, but it's, it's still the bigger picture. Like it's, it's preparing for. A year from now, if this happens, I think it's it's we can have a certain uh, different discussion. Like it's it, it can't happen when um, eventually that there has to be a point where that you you come to expect the teams to produce and 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 come through in those situations. But it, we're just we're not at that point yet. Yeah, you know, especially you know, we we'd be normally talking about like the rookie wall in a regular season right now for one or two guys. You got a whole bunch of guys that are probably hitting that wall. Ian Mitchell looked really good the first month or so of the season, but now he's you know thirty games into. Uh, a, a, a compressed NHL schedule coming off of a college schedule, which is very kind of leisurely and lots of practice time and lots of downtime between games. You know, it's 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 to be expected that he's going to have a downturn, that, that he's going to have his ups and downs. Um, it, it's it's a challenge on these guys. Uh, and I here's you mentioned Carlton and he's getting angry at the players. And, you know, he called Duncan Keith's penalty stupid last night, which is a little more blunt of an assessment that we're used to hearing from him. And he talked about how, you know, letdowns here. Part of me wants to see Colleton kind of take a little bit more ownership when the team does bad. I don't remember ever Jeremy Colleton saying, you know what? We weren't prepared in that third period or we got outplayed or outmatched and that's on me. I don't think I've heard Jeremy Colleton say that's on me at any point. And maybe it's just, you know, a a cliche to say it. Maybe there's not, I mean, obviously, you know, we all know that in hockey in, in particular, Players play and coaches. This isn't the NFL where you're dictating everything that happens out there. Uh, 
hockey hockey coaches can have a minimal effect on a game sometimes, but he got out coached by Jer- by Joel Quenville in that series. You know, the, the Quenville made adjustments and made matchup changes. He's always been a matchup master, and Colleton couldn't adapt. I'd like to see him acknowledge maybe a little bit that you know I, I, he's got to be better too, right? The, the defensemen have to be better. The forwards have to be better. The goaltenders have to be better. But Jeremy Colleton's, you know, a developing coach too. And he needs to adapt better. You know, it, it, it's been a hallmark of this team that they've done well in the second game of these series. So he's done, you know, he can he can make the adjustments. He can do the adapting. But in a game like last night's, he just got outcoached in a lot of ways. And I'd like to see him take a little more ownership of that and rather than just assign blame to his players. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It, it seems... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we, we don't hear that often, do we? Like, I, I, I think whenever we ask him about that, he's certainly like, yeah, he's like, I, I need to take it, but you don't hear maybe it coming, uh, being brought forth by him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting now that now they had to, uh, they had to Tampa, which it'll be a little, like, there can be two more games of this and then they finally come home after this long load trip, but it's, um, the standings definitely do look a little bit different. I mean, they're still in that fourth spot, but it's it's slipping a little bit. And they, they just need to get through. They they need to get through March, you know, alive. Like they just need to survive this. Because if you look at the April, once they get into like early to mid April, you get a lot of Nashville and Columbus back on the schedule. Detroit's back on the schedule. There are points to be had at right now. It's just the way this schedule is set up. Almost all the difficult games are compressed into March. So. April can be a lot like February was if they get through March with their, you know, confidence intact. And if they're still, you got to be around that fourth spot. If they're around that fourth spot at the end of March, then they're in good shape the rest of the way because they have a favorable schedule the rest of the way. They just got to get through these next couple of weeks. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, also coming up in the next couple of weeks will be the, uh, well, I guess, what are we, two, three weeks, out, three weeks out of the deadline? Yeah, no, almost four. Four weeks? From yeah, April 12th. April 12th late this year I, I i know we've been writing about it a lot but i i, I am fully expecting nothing to happen at this point like i, I feel like there's <laughs> there's all this build-up to tra- trade deadline and i just i i don't know I, I the financial landscape of this situation i think it makes it so difficult for teams like even like do you how much do you want to sacrifice knowing like what's what's the payoff of making a cup run this year or or going an extra round without without fans like it just it feels so small that it as we're recording this Kyle Dubas is doing his uh his availability in Toronto and he said he absolutely would cha- trade a top prospect at the deadline I'm thinking yeah that's the one team they need to win a cup they got to win a cup they got to do it soon they that's the one team I could see just like going for broke this year of all years because I mean god that division's so awful they're like virtually guaranteed a spot in the final four the way the playoffs are set up this year. But if you're not Toronto, if you're not a team that's going to win the cup this year, what's your motivation, man? There's not, there's no financial gain. And even like, you know, the competitive gain is minimal at this point. It's going to be, it's, I think it's going to be boring across the league, not just in Chicago. Yeah. And it's, it's also about the return. Like it's, what are you willing to give up to get a Strom or a Yanmark or, or whomever the Blackhawks might consider trading? Like it's, 
they have, you know, I know we've talked a lot about Strom, but they have Strom in a decent number right now. Like it's, it does help the future landscape where where the 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 cap is going to be flat for. I mean, what they say four more years. Like it's it's yeah. a long time. It, it, it's really going to be interesting how contracts are, are navigated over these next uh, yeah over these next next few years and just what the landscape's going to be like because it's ultimately everyone's going to price themselves out you know like it's just, it just it can't be how it was because it's uh, there's so many long-term contracts too still in place that it, it's going to be hard to balance caps and stay at stay at that level and um it's uh, and more players even going on ltir you know between now and then and the cap's not going up like it just you could always you could always envision you know project the cap going up a few million a year and, and preparing for that and now for it to be flat and to have some i mean the brinkett was probably very lucky to sign when he did because his contract's probably a little bit different if he waits to the end of the season it's uh like even little things like that a few million dollars here and there like it's gonna it's gonna add up and um i, I think the teams that who can really navigate these these next years over financially are, are gonna be the ones who succeed because it's they're, they're gonna be some teams that are just gonna be just strapped for cash and uh and just yeah the, the capped out it's it, it's it's gonna be really interesting times with with uh with the league yeah i, I think the, the kind of you know everyone wants to talk about jack eichel and taylor hall and some of these big ticket items i i, I think that the kind of trades you are going to see are going to be like the it's going to be the carl soderberg or matthias yanmark types those kind of miss you know, those are the, those are the trades that contenders love to make that like flesh out your top nine with a with your third line left wing you know, or a Michael Hanzus in 2013 type of deal where it's just kind of that final piece of the puzzle. I don't think you're looking to make a huge splash with a big contract, too many variables, too many unknowns. I think that's the kind of trade you're going to see, which is, you know, so the Blackhawks might make three or four trades and it still might be a really boring day because you're getting a third rounder for Carl Soderberg, a fourth rounder for Lucas Walmark. I mean, these guys might have some value, but it's not going to be good value. Uh, not in yeah, this climate, yeah. not the way they're playing. I mean, other than Yanmark, um, you know, Soderbergh's had a nice little stretch here for a little while, but you know, Lucas Walmark, he came in, he was, I thought was going to be the best of the bunch of all these guys mm-hmm. they brought in. And he's been, uh, an absolute non-factor. He's been a healthy scratch more off, you know, more from not lately. And so I, they, they don't have a lot of attractive pieces beyond Strom. And I still, I'm, I'm in the Strom camp. I don't think you should be trading a guy who can produce and who's that young because the Blackhawks need as many producers as they can. And we have a piece coming out uh, next few days about roster projections, and it's it's you know we won't get too much in and give waste the story, but um, it, it's interesting. Like I, I feel like they have some decisions ahead because you you uh, they have players coming in, or even you know if, if Taze and Doc come back in the mix, like it it, it definitely alters the roster and uh, Nylander coming back. Like the, there's some decisions that may be made, and, may, and some of them maybe just be competitions next year. Like if Nylander isn't good enough, then. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't make the lineup, but I, I think there's some decisions, even in the future with, with the young defensemen, like at what, at some point this is fine to, you know, bring guys up and down in Rockford, but it, at some point you're going to decide who's, who's an initial lineup and who, you know, like who you're sticking with, who you're riding with. And I think over the next few years here, that's going to be really interesting to see because I'm, I'm not convinced they can put Bowden and, and, and Mitchell and Boquist in the lineup at the same time. And, um, it, it just it's it, it's difficult, it, and I think as they're seeing some of that this year. But it, and obviously some of its inconsistencies. But it, um, those guys have to be better defensively, and they, I, I think there's some interesting decisions ahead for the Hawks. Even with you know Lucas Carlson will have to go through waivers next year, and um, you know we'll, we'll see who they lose in the expansion draft. But they're 
um, there, there's some interesting roster decisions I think ahead for the Blackhawks, and they got to figure out whether you know whether you want to trade guys early or or, or how you you, you want to resign players too. So um, yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be an interesting deadline to see if uh, if they are willing to you know like I, I feel like you're still you still want to bring on assets like whatever whatever you can for anyone at this point like it's it's um, I, I think there's a more of a benefit to bringing on a third round draft pick if you can than rather than than keeping someone and have them help you to a potential playoff run or whatever this season. All right, well, let's get into some uh, some emails and voicemails. I want to get into this one because I don't think we talked about ESPN, uh, the ESPN deal yet with the NHL and what that means. So Ben asks, Stephen A. Smith did a promo for the NHL and ESPN. Smith has been pretty clear in the past that he doesn't care about hockey at all. If you had a chance to show him one play, moment, or game to try to get him in to give hockey a chance, what would it be? Mine would be Game 5 of the Nashville series in 2010, the Hosa goal, uh, all that great stuff. Let me start by saying I don't like like it, it's 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 absolutely a good thing that the that the NHL will be on ESPN. It's a much bigger platform than NBC. NBC's done a good job, but ESPN reaches a larger audience, and they don't talk about hockey because they don't have hockey. Uh, that said, I've never really liked the way ESPN has treated hockey for a long time now, like this cutesy little niche sport. And the Stephen A. Smith promo kind of pissed me off a little bit. Like it was like, ha ha ha, I'm on TV and I don't give a shit about hockey. Isn't that hilarious? Ha ha, Barry Melrose has a mullet. Isn't that awesome? Like it's kind of insulting to the hockey fan. And there's a lot of that, that the, you know, quote unquote mainstream uh, looks at hockey as this kind of like silly, cuddly Canadian sport full of weirdos. And, uh, you know, you, you can go back to Chance the Rapper and the let's do that hockey. Like the NHL embraced that. It was making fun of how no fans other than white people like you. It was, it was making fun of you and you embraced it because like someone's talking about us. And I, yeah. I wish that hockey had more self-respect and would, you know, look in there and go, oh, wow, you're right. We don't reach enough fans of color. What can we do about that? Instead of going, look, a black guy's talking about us. I mean, it's kind of just, it's cringeworthy to watch the NHL kind of supplicate itself sometimes to being, to people that are making fun of them. I'd like to see the NHL be more proactive with fans and, and, and reach out to fans rather than kind of latch on to people that are having fun at their expense. Uh, Stephen, a, I, I, Stephen A. Smith's a cartoon character, so whatever. I, I think at the end of the day, Stephen A. Smith and those type of people aren't going to talk about hockey any differently. I, I of think, course not. I, I think where, where there's potential is getting it on Sports Center and then giving uh, giving the ESPN's hockey writers, uh, you know, more of a platform and giving Barry Melrose or or whomever just more more time on air, you know, like I think that's where it, maybe, maybe it puts their, uh, the last thing the NHL needs is Barry Melrose getting more time on air. They need, well, you know, you know what I mean, but I'm just saying they, they're, yeah. they're hockey actual voices getting more of, uh, you know, Emily Kaplan or whoever that just, you know, getting a chance to talk about hockey, I think, or, or showing more highlights. I, you know, sports center is still a big thing. I, I, I don't watch ESPN myself anymore, but I, I, I know that sports center is still, you know, like people watch it and they still, what they say is important and putting highlights on there is, is big. So that the more that you can have the, you know, the people who aren't watching or the, or the, just the, the ordinary fan getting, giving them more exposure to it, I, I think is the benefit. And then just having those games on that platform, you can, you can reach more people. Um, you know, obviously my, my feelings about ESPN a whole are, or my my own past with ESPN and, and being laid off and and once seeing them you know like they they fully supported hockey I mean it was Custance and Pierre LeBrun and uh, Katie Strang and Scott Burnside and Joe McDonald and Corey Prom and they all worked for at ESPN at yeah. one point you know like it's they had arguably the best hockey staff 
Um, and then they let that go. Like, well, that's that's kind of always been the case where you know they, they've always done a good job on the digital side and the writing side. And they still have you know Wyshynski and Kaplan are great. Well, now, now they, I mean, they have two writers now. Like it's yeah. not like it's they they just let their prospect go. Chris Peters, who does a wonderful yeah, job yeah. and doing his own thing now. Like it's not like they put a whole lot of resources into that side. You know, like it's. Um, so yeah, I'm curious to see how this like what 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 it creates for ESPN. Like, will they put it on Sports Center more? Will they hire more hockey writers or give their hockey writers a larger platform? And I think that's where the opportunities will come. So I'm, I think there are potential upsides to that, and I'm I'm curious to see if ESPN, you know, like ESPN ultimately wants to promote its own product. I mean, that's that's a driving force. Like it 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 doesn't do hockey because it's not on its air, and they find it to be you know a niche sport and now that that you know it, it's it's weird that now that they have it now it'll be promoted more but that's probably what's best so well it's going to be it's i think it's one game a week is actually going to be on espn or abc i think most of it's going to be on espn plus their their streaming service and i think that's the main impetus behind it they're basically nhl.tv is going away and you have to get an espn plus subscription to watch all those games which is great i mean that's that's fine i have no problem with that and that's and that's still on espn and, and you know three years from now we'll Tell, tell what will television even look like? Who knows? You know, the, the streaming wars that we have now, you couldn't have envisioned just five years ago. So it's probably forward thinking. My concern is that it's becoming this like nostalgia trip where, again, NHL people shooting themselves in the foot were like, oh, bring back Gary Thorne and yay, Barry Melrose. And no, let's get some new faces on there. Let's get some younger people. Let's get some people that weren't, you know, hockey coaches in the 70s and 80s. To talk about t- uh, you know talk about hockey on television. Let's get some new voices. It doesn't have to be the same people that watch. I think Versteeg would be great. You were a kid. I think Versteeg. Versteeg uh, would be great. Get Kevin Bieksa. You know, lure him out of Canada. Put him on ESPN. There's so many great young. Put Kevin Weeks on there if he doesn't have a job in the front office by then. Put some younger, interesting you know uh, faces of the game that 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 understand the modern game more. And let's get away from the Mike Milbury, Barry Melrose types that are talking about you know mullets and 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 truculence and stuff like that let's get some new blood out there this is an opportunity to really change the face of the game and i'm going to be disappointed if it's just everyone trying to relive nhl 94 again (laughs) uh as for what i show people i i I think it's the it's like you gotta bring people to hockey with um you know like the the sick moves you know like it's like barzell's move or something like i I think that's the stuff that what it's like you gotta you gotta bring them in show them the athleticism and and the creativity and that's uh and and then you become to appreciate the rest i I think that's where you know especially for me not growing up with hockey like it, it took me a minute to uh appreciate the uh yeah, I don't know, just players' athleticism and what what you know where their gifts are and like it. Well, that's what people want to see individual individual stars. Yeah, which has never been the NHL's strong suit. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think that's the like I, I think the moments, uh, you know, like the, the drama and all that stuff. Like you become to understand as as you get further into hockey. But I, I think I think the intro has to be the, the high end players and the speed and you know just uh, yeah just the you know being able to dangle the puck or do whatever. I think that's where you you can draw like the you know the average fan or someone who's not you know doesn't know hockey into it yeah i think i think if i just dropped a person who's never watched a hockey game and said here's here's game five overtime against the kings in 2014 which is the best 20 minutes of hockey i've ever seen they might be like well so what <laughs> yeah. you, you gotta you have to be you have to be immersed in the stakes and all the drama like it, it's it, it's a saga you know it's like you can't just drop someone into Game 7 of the World Series that's never watched baseball and go, watch this 12-pitch at-bat where the guy fouls the ball off seven times in a row. It's amazing! You have to be kind of steeped in it to understand that. So, yeah, the the, the entry the entry point for fans, which is what the NHL needs, is as many entry points for fans as possible. It's 
it's it is Barzell making that play. It's Patrick Kane doing the spinorama. It's high end players doing high end things. It's watching Connor McDavid just blow through you know five guys in the neutral zone and and dangle at full speed. That's what's going to bring people in. People like watching slam dunks. They like watching home runs, and they're going to like watching people score uh, you know highlight reel goals. That's that's the entry point, and then they can get steep in the drama and the traditions and the rivalries once they're hooked. But you got to hook them in first. Here's a question from Jackson. Uh, assuming there are no injuries, by the time the tra- trade deadline occurs, how do you think the defenseman situation will be handled? We have 10 NHL caliber defensemen, and we can only play seven. Do you foresee Stan trading one of our defensemen? And if so, who would Stan be willing to part, w- to part with a young defenseman? Um yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're ready to play this out yet. Like they're they're still trying to figure out what they have, and um, you know, I, I did mention at some point that you know, like they have to, you know, have to determine who they're going forward with. But I, I think some of it, the players will determine. Um, you know, we'll see how the expansion draft plays out. That you know, like uh, I also think there, I think after the season there might be more of a window to trade trade players, and um, you know, like it's uh, the. the the value changes after the season and, and people kind of are preparing more for the following season. So even now, like someone like Kelvin DeHaan, who, you know, the Blackhawks consider trading if they're, if they don't plan to protect an expansion draft. Um, I, I still think that might be a year out because he has another year left on his deal after this year. He's not a rental and um, you know, there's different value in that and what the Blackhawks would, would want it back. And it's, um, so yeah, and even a year from now, like maybe the Blackhawks will eat someone's money a little bit, uh, you know, they'll have some cash space still. And I, I think a lot of those things can come in, into play. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's really like, it's, it's a major concern as of now. Like, I think they're still trying to figure it out. Um, and I, I guess we can actually, you know, probably lump into the next question too. So it was from Brendan says, what are your guys' opinions on Nikita Zadorov's play this season? I haven't been that impressed with him, but not really sure what to make of him. Would love to hear your thoughts on him. I think the Blackhawks are, are gauging that too. Like Zadorov's part of the equation. Um, it's funny. I was talking to um, Don Lushizin today about uh, Zadorov's next contract, and um, I, I think Dom has him projected like he has like a one point six million dollar value. And and I said, <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah, and, and I'm like, whoa, yeah. And I was kind of surprised what what you know, like it, it's all based on analytics, and then. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, maybe the Blackhawks are probably better off walking away from him. Dom said, well, you know, you know, based on he's better defensively and, uh, you know, just he, he's this tough guy and maybe all those things have more money. And then I go, well, the qualifying offer for him is $3.2 million. And Dom's like, oh, yeah, shoot. <laughs> like, that's like that's <laughs> I, and, and I think that's uh, the Blackhawks are like they need to figure out if he's worth it. You know, like it, it is the qualifying offer is going to make this difficult. And, and Zadorov and his agent probably want more money in 3.2 million. And it's hard to justify that one in, in the future cap world, but also based on his play, like he's a third pairing defenseman. It's, I, I don't, I, I think he is what he is at his age. You know, like I know the Blackhawks kind of mentioned him uh, improving and hoping he can improve. And I, and I think there's, you know, maybe he gets better in slight ways, but I, I, I don't think he takes drastic steps. I, I don't, I don't think he's the type of player who's going to evolve a whole lot. Like there's, there's definitely upsides to his game, but um, I don't think he's ever going to become, you know, someone who can handle the puck well or move it terrifically. You know, like there's, there's limitations to what he can do. Yeah, he, he's a guy that he's, he's better defensively than people are, you know, criticizing him for. I mean, the Blackhawks have their defensive lapses and he's part of that. But the problem is when the puck is on a stick, when the puck is on a stick, it's bad. 
Like bad things happen when the puck is on the stick. He is, he is as advertised. But he defends longer than he has to, right? Like he 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 ends up losing yeah, the puck yeah. and then he's defending more time in the zone. Like those things add up. So. Right. But he, he he's as advertised. He does bring something that nobody else on the team really has, that physical play. I mean, Connor Murphy's a big guy who can hit, but he doesn't do it a whole lot. You know, Zadora's out there looking to hit people and separate them from the puck. And he can kill plays and he's got some skill. Um, it's just he's just it's it's every time the puck's on the stick, it's a grenade, and it's like something's going to explode and something bad is going to happen. So you do have to. I, I, Stan Bowman in the past has been kind of too proud to walk away from guys when he's made a commitment to them, like a big deal about them. Will the new financial landscape change that? We'll see, because he's an NHL caliber defenseman. But like you said, he is a third pairing guy who's making a fair bit of money, um, and. We, this whole offseason is so unknown about what people are going to be expecting and what they're going to be getting that it's really hard to make a call on him right now. Mm-hmm. I think the Blackhawks would like to keep him. The question is, can they keep him at the price that he wants? And if it becomes a, a, acrimonious in any way, screw it. Just let him walk. Yeah. He's not good enough to be a headache. Uh, we have uh, got a bunch of voicemails here, so let's hit those up. Terrific. Hey, guys. It's uh, Paul from Potomac, Maryland. Uh, two questions, really. Uh, number one, in your uh, 28 Thoughts column the other day, uh, you noted that uh, Dominic Kubelik is proving to be a proven goal scorer and is playing well in all zones. However, he's eighth in ice time, average ice time on forward for forwards. Avon Kane, Debrinket, Janmark, Strom, Suter, Soderberg, and Shaw on the team. Uh, first question is, what does he have to do to get more playing time? Uh, and the second question is, Mark, uh, you're continuing – theme of uh, it's not nothing uh are the hawks going to trademark that uh for their 2021 slogan officially thanks again guys for all the coverage We're, we've lowered the bar to one goal to it's not nothing <laughs> i like it i the thing about uh, everyone's always talking about kubelik's ice time and you know he's not on that top power play unit and he doesn't kill penalties and kane stays out there for a long time on power plays i think a lot of his minutes are getting eaten up in that regard where he's I think I, I have to check the numbers, but five on five, he's not that far off uh, uh, of the leaders in the, on the ice time. What do you think, Scott? I'm going to look that up here. Yeah, part of it's that top unit, and it's I think it's 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 you know like they they've tried Kubalik on there and finding a spot, and you, and you have the Brinkett and Kane on the wing, and you know like they 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 have the two the bumper roles, and uh, yeah, just he he doesn't fit in, especially if the Brinkett's going to play. Uh, on that first unit and yeah, like they've basically chosen to bring it over Kubalik in that role, you know, like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where, yeah, where... Here, here, here's the, here's the ice time among forwards at even strength. The only guys ahead of him are to bring Kane and Suter. So basically the top line. Yeah. Yan marks at like 18 seconds more than he is. So that second line, you know, he's, he's getting second line, third line minutes basically. Cause he's not on the top line. Kane plays a lot to bring it deserves to play a lot too. It's just a, it's just it's not you know, being on the top unit the power play affects time. it, you know. Yeah, because um, Kane's got double the power play time per game than than Kubalik has, and Kubalik doesn't kill penalties, so that's where the that's where the gap comes from. It's not as it's not as egregious as it looks. And, and I feel like recently, like I, I know Carlton's basically, you know, like he he's said a few times in the last few weeks about how he's been happier with Kubalik's five on five play, and um, you know, I think him and Hagel make a lot of sense, and I, I think actually Kampf was really good for that line too. Like they were four checking, and and I think you know Kubalik plays a role in that too, and it's it, some of it's just him being motivated and probably driven by some line mates, but um, he he's good defensively too. Like he can be solid in all zones and. 
Um, so I, I think it's some of it's about the opportunity who he's playing with, and I, I think him and Hagel do make sense, and and it's maybe you know something to consider keeping together for a while, and um, like that's part of it too is like figuring out like who works long term. Like the idea of the Brinkett Doc and Kane certainly makes a lot of sense, but you know if you can find you know if if Kubalik and you know like he threw if Taves comes back like he's he's in the middle of Kubalik and Hagel like maybe that makes sense. Like you, I, I that's think a good that, line. Yeah, I, I think figuring out some of those combinations is part of the season. Figuring out pairings like you, you mix things up, but you'd like some consistency and some guys who create some chemistry. I mean, you see that around the league, and we certainly saw that in, in, in cup runs that, you know, the Blackhawks had lines that they knew would work, and that's what they went to, and you can mix it up here and there, but they have those have those combinations. So, um, yeah, it, it's uh, – what was the – oh, the other one was about the uh, – your, uh, <laughs> your, your, your <laughs> It's not nothing. I mean, you got to you know, lower the yellow ex- – expectations are higher now than they were in January, but they're still not that high. I'm just saying, embrace it. All right, what's next? Hi, this is Simon. I don't know why I am fascinated by injuries and the change of plans that it makes for professional hockey teams in particular. But how much did Sosa, did Hosa's injury throw off the plans of Stan Bowman? And would they have been competitive at a different level if Hosa doesn't get injured when he does, or at least a skin irritation? Uh, just curious your thoughts. Thanks. I thought for a second he was talking about when Sammy Sosa threw out his back sneezing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because Hosa was like, like there were metrics about Hosa's game that were down, but he was still producing and, uh, you know, like he was, I, I think he would have been a fine top nine player and he was so defensively sound that he was someone who would have helped them. Um, like, like the, the cap, certainly the one year, like having his salary affected him, you know, like they, they carried his contract for the next year and then they traded him Stroza. Who hasn't really done a whole lot since they've they've dealt him? But he was he was part of the part of the picture. And I, I think there was what, a, a third round pick in that, or a second round. I forget what the exactly what they traded. And got, Jordan Osterley, I yeah, think Osterley too, yeah. too, and some picks. So yeah, I don't. I mean, there's part of it. I mean, Hosa, like they they. I don't know if they ever envisioned that Hosa was going to be there for the whole time. Like his his contract was even you know like his structure the way it was because. There was a possibility that maybe he gets moved, or you know, like there were there were different options laid in his contract with his low cap hit. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think he saw himself retiring before he did, and he was at least going to be able to play it. I mean, he had a really good season the year before, and um, you know, part of the reason why they went to the playoffs, even if they were probably uh, you know probably playing a little bit. They weren't as good as their record appeared that season, but he was still a contributing factor. Like I, I don't know if things are changed dramatically. I, I, it was, it was changed so much by that, by what they did after the season trading Charles and Panarin. That I mean, Hosa is certainly coupled in there, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much it it affects this future. I think, I think they really envisioned Hosa being like the greatest checking line winger of all time for the last few years of his career, uh, and and losing him, it, it, it certainly affected the overall quality of the team defense. Um, but it, it's really hard to quantify because it has that ripple effect. Like you said, you, you don't trade this guy and you don't trade that guy and you don't lose this pick and you don't lose that pick. And, and, and it, the ripple effect is huge. But suffice to say, they were not a better team without Marion Hosa. Yeah. And everyone who thought they were somehow circumventing the cap is silly because you don't lose a guy like that and get better. That's just the, the absolute bottom line. On well, it. even the, 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 the cap with the next year, like they carried that five, whatever his contract was for five yeah. million. That was a year where they didn't have the space, you know, and they, they did nothing that off season. Like they went and signed, uh, what, what, what was that? Who the, who they signed? Was that Brandon Manning and, uh, 
Brandon Manning and Chris Kunitz. Yeah, like it was. It was they. They didn't. I mean, had to have. That's not Marion Hosa. Yeah, no. That, <laughs> that, that they they weren't able to tap into that cap space. So, like, yeah, I, I know that everyone felt like the Blackhawks were circumventing the cap, but they they, they, they paid a price for Hosa. You know. You know, being having to step away when he did, like they they could have used that money, uh, and certainly probably used Hosa instead of then dealing with what what they had to you know for that one year and then trading him, uh, you know, having to trade away pieces and draft picks in exchange uh, in exchange for his contract. So, I, I I never bought into the fact that the the Hawks benefited from Hosa stepping away when he did. All right, real quick, running out of time. Last one. Hey Mark, hey Scott, this is Nick. Thanks for taking my question. So wanted to get your thoughts on whether what we've seen from the Blackhawks this year uh, is really uh, indicative or if, if the process matches their results or if what we're dealing with here is largely smoke and mirrors and a function of a favorable schedule and playing against uh, what appears to be one of the weaker divisions in the league. And what I'm specifically citing from an analytical perspective is looking at the Hawks' core C4 and uh Goals expected four percentages. They're 29th and 30th, respectively, in the league in both of those categories, while sporting a safe percentage of nearly 93%, which is obviously a big positive in what we've seen from Kevin Lankin. So would love to hear your thoughts on, on the question, how those analytical measures went in. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, is the, the they're probably not as good as their record suggests, but I'm not sure they're as bad as their analytics suggest. They're somewhere in between. And the thing, uh, again, the thing I keep pointing to is if you're looking for things to hang to cling to as the record gets worse, is that this is a team that has a lot of room for growth. This isn't some veteran team that's already reached its ceiling. You've got six, seven, eight, nine guys in here that are just starting out, that are just figuring things out, that are just learning to play in the NHL and learning to win. So the ceiling is still high. The floor is what it is, but the ceiling is a lot higher than if it were some veteran team. So there's... No matter how the rest of the season plays out, whether or not they make the playoffs, whether they do anything in the playoffs, the ceiling is still a lot higher for this team because with so many young guys that are just starting out, there's a lot of room for growth. And that's the thing you have to be excited about. Yeah, yeah some of the numbers, you know, I look at the high danger chances and scoring chances and, and, and they've slightly improved. So like they're they're heading in a better direction. And, and, and you would think with, you know, three top, you know, at least your top two centers being there, maybe that... It, uh, effects in it and you know you would think some of these guys get better defensively and um and the fact that Blackhawks have figured out a goaltender and, and Lincoln and like that's that was such a big part of this equation like th- there was a chance that Lincoln and Subban and Delia didn't work out and um you're having to search for that goalie in free agency or somewhere else so I I think you know they're ready to roll with Lincoln and Hare who, who's been pretty consistent um throughout so um, yeah, analytically, and you know, even the eye test, like there's times where things aren't adding up yet, and uh, eventually they they are going to have to add up, and and you see that. But right now, it's like you understand where the analytics are, and um, and and they're certainly getting you know being fortunate to win some games in overtime, and and the power play has been really good, and um, you know, th- there's reasons why they've exceeded, and it's also a team that sometimes exceeds uh, the expected goals because of way the you know Kane and Brinkett play where they're, they're able to score on uh, on fewer chances um but uh yeah I I I look at the analytics and I, and I certainly see issues and I and I see uh I see why they're concerned because I, I mean I certainly you know see, we see it on Twitter a lot about people like saying that this is all smoke and mirrors but 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you, the equation is part of like it, it, everything has to be included in the equation. It's about the centers and the youth of this team, and um, you, you do want to see some improvement and and uh, you know adding guys like Zadorov and you know some guys were coming brought in to to help them in areas, and and you've seen some of it. So um, yeah, it, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but I I think you've seen more positive than negative so far. Remember, the 2021 Blackhawks, it's not nothing. <laughs> uh, if you have any questions you want to ask, email us at lazandpowers at gmail.com or call 714-759-4529 and leave a voicemail. Uh, don't forget, March Madness is here starting on Tuesday, March 16th. The Athletics College Basketball Crew brings you the Ding You, presented by BetMGM. We'll cover all the action, both on the court and at the sportsbook, grabbing insight from the Athletics College basketball writers and picking the brain of BetMGM's top bookmakers. First four discussion show Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Daily Ding feed and streaming on the Athletics YouTube channel. Be sure to check that out. Northwestern's not in again this year, huh? Northwestern women, baby. We're going all the way. Nice. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, I'm Mark Lazarus. That's Scott Powers. We'll see you. See you. I can fix it. I can help even just a little bit.